TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Hi, I'm Dr. Easterling from the New York City Health Department. I know some of you are still deciding whether to get the COVID-19 vaccine or not. I hear the concerns at community events, on social media, and even from my own family and friends. And I am hoping that in conversations with people you trust, that you are getting the information you need to make an informed decision. But I continue to be concerned about the high number of people who remain unvaccinated. And we know the reality that communities of color were disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Yet, we see some of the same disparities with who has gotten vaccinated. People of color continue to have some of the lowest vaccination rates, increasing the chances that our communities and our loved ones will be hospitalized or die. If you haven't gotten your vaccine, have a conversation with someone you trust so that we can stop being the most affected, but the least protected against COVID. Thank you. And now. What are we gonna do with our children? What are we gonna do to show we care? How are we gonna be there for our children when they feel that life has just not been that fair? Good evening and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters, Mask and Fathers. Alliance Saving Kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction. If you know somebody that needs a referral for a therapist, an inpatient or outpatient program, maybe you want to attend a parent support group, please call MASK at 718-758-0400. You can call anonymously. All calls are strictly confidential. Again, I'm going to repeat the number. Maybe it's for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you sit next to usually in shul. Our number again from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., 718 718- Seven five eight zero four zero zero. Tonight, I'm really honored, really, really honored. I'm going to say a double really honored for having on with us a wonderful, wonderful person that really took a personal, um, her personal journey to share and help families, and that is from the communities confronting substance abuse. I would like to welcome on the founder, Lee Ann Foreman. Good evening. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank you for making the time, Leanne. I know you and your husband founded the organization, and I'd like 
you to just tell my listeners what is CCSA, please. So actually, we have just recently changed our name legally to Communities Confronting Substance Use and Addiction, taking the word abuse out of it because what we do um, is we work to eliminate the stigma and shame associated with substance use and addiction. And one of those ways is removing the word abuse, which has a negative connotation from our name and from our work. Um, we are a not-for-profit. We are located in New Jersey, but work with many, many different communities across the country. Our main flagship product, as we'll call it, is our prevention programming in schools, middle schools and high schools. We also do community awareness events, education events and workshops. And we have a support group for families who are struggling with this issue. So for the listeners out there, you may be wondering why mask that is actually uh, February, it'll be 25 years that we are doing this kind of work working towards stigma-free, why I would be having somebody on with a similar organization. And that is because I am proud to collaborate and have organizations of all kinds to help families with their struggling situations, mental health and addiction. Hello, Kavod, for starting the organization. Um, you are um, based out of New Jersey, but you do do programs in New York. So let's start first for my listeners, what your relationship to addiction and substance use is, please. Sure, sure. Um, so our we have five children. Our second oldest, who is now actually turning 27 in a couple of weeks, struggled with substance use and addiction in college. Um, she came to us actually on her birthday um, at a birthday dinner and admitted that she was struggling. Um, when we offered to help, she quickly backpedaled and said, I got this. We didn't know how in, in deep she was with her issues. Um, we didn't know what exactly she was struggling with. And then we finally made it clear to her that um, we made a very difficult and very painful decision that we could not support her anymore. She was living in Queens at the time, going to Queens College. Um, we could not give her rent money anymore because we knew that rent money was actually going for, for drugs. So we kind of forced her hand to get treatment. Um, it was a scary time, but uh, thank God she made the decision to get help. She knew she needed to went into treatment and it was not an easy journey and i'm obviously telling it in a very quick highlighted way but um she is now almost four years in recovery from substance use and addiction when our family went through this we felt very alone very isolated we could feel the stigma that was associated with it and we began to to think that there was something we could do about it and that was really the source of our founding our organization so let me ask you, Leanne, um, you go into schools. Uh, you mentioned earlier you changed the name of your organization recently. 
and you do do programs in schools, both in New Jersey and in New York. And I'd like you to tell my listeners about what kinds of program you offer in school so that the listeners can actually request it in their school to be in touch with your organization and request programs like you have to offer. Sure. So, it, you know, we work very closely. We're located in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, when we first started out, we worked very closely with prevention experts here, with the prosecutor's office. We came up with the idea of going into Bergen County schools, and there are plenty of them, um, with a program that was not just about educating kids about substances, teaching them the risks and, you know, dangers that it poses, um, but also giving it the cultural aspect that it happens in the Jewish community. So whereas the prosecutor's office has programs that go into public schools all the time, they didn't have anything that was culturally appropriate or sensitive for the Jewish community. They worked very closely with us to develop a program that we could bring into yeshivas, middle schools and high schools. And then we started getting requests from outside of Bergen County. And we realized that this was something that was really sorely lacking in our Jewish schools. Some schools have very rich social emotional wellness curriculum. Some don't. There's everywhere on the spectrum. Um, but at most, you know, there's maybe a unit or two on substances. And what we do, we it's a, it's a great standalone program, but it also works to enhance whatever social emotional wellness programming schools have in place. Even if they do units on substances, we come in with people who are Jewish, who grew up in Jewish communities, who themselves are in recovery, like my daughter, or who have lived experience with addiction. We train them on an evidence-based program that is delivered. So we're marrying teaching about the science of addiction, also refusal skills, coping skills, um, you know, the dangers of introducing substances to a growing brain, a developing brain, but we're bringing somebody in who's infusing their personal journey into that presentation, teaching kids that, you know, this can happen in our community. It does happen in our community. And the amazing part of it is, and I know my daughter talks about this, is she had programming like this in her high school growing up, in her, in her yeshiva. And she takes herself back into that time and says, what could I have heard or what would someone have said to me to have made the difference in my decision making? What could have equipped me with information that might have let me make healthier choices in my life. And what she was doing at the time, you know, even in high school, she was, quote unquote, experimenting, really just dabbling alcohol, nothing crazy, nothing, you know, no hard substances. But what she didn't realize and what she teaches these kids is that's already hijacking your brain. If you're susceptible to addiction, that's already changing your brain chemistry and taking you down that, which then for her led to a full-blown addiction. You know, Leanne, I want to go back, um, if it's okay with you to share a little bit of your personal story. And you start this organization and you go public in your community and your shul and your synagogue. And I mean, you have other family members. Was everyone on board, the children, siblings, and how was the response? I know when I started MASK 24 years ago, uh, our first meeting, we had almost 100 people in the room. Our second meeting, which was two months later, 
had over a thousand people in the room. So I want you to talk about when you started the organization and how it became accepted in your community. And the reason is I want to give chizuk to those parents that are frightened to pick up a phone or go out to a meeting and listen when you do a meeting, when I do a meeting, when other organizations do a meeting, how important it is to show up and learn what's going on in a neighborhood, what's going on, what resources are available. So if you could just go back to when you started for a moment. Thank you. Sure. So, um, so as I said, we had this situation in our family. We saw within our own community some focus on mental health issues, some admission when people were struggling with something, you know, whether it was depression, eating disorders, but nobody talked about um, addiction or substance use. And we knew statistically that was impossible. We knew that, that it had to affect our community. It's not like we're immune from it. Um, and so about a year into Ilana's recovery, we asked her first, this is really her story to tell me, we're not gonna do this without her permission. We got the idea of having some kind of event, you know, coming out, talking about the, the, um, our situation, the situation in general, bringing in experts. Um, at that time, we partnered with Amudim, an organization in New York, um, who does community awareness events like this. We were not a 501c3 yet. We were just a concept. Um, and they said, sure, you know, we can bring in somebody who specializes in addiction and your husband will speak or you will speak. And we had a rabbi um, and we put together this event in April, 2018. Um, Ilana said, she said, you know, go ahead. My only condition is you give out my name and my number to help anybody who might be struggling. She wanted that to be one of the conditions. We then went to our four other kids, um, one older son and then younger siblings. And I asked them the same question. We're not going to do this unless we have your blessing. One of my sons, he wasn't yet dating but would be dating. And, you know, we had heard things about Shaduchim and how they're impacted by, you know, tainted um, by that kind of information. And he said, if somebody doesn't want to marry me because of what my family went through, then I don't want to marry them. Um, and each kid in their own way, at their age appropriate way, gave their blessing. And so we did this event in April, 2018. We got tremendous buy-in from local rabbis and schools, you know, people posted it. Um, we did it in a local high school. We expected 100 people at the most, and that would include friends and family that were coming to support us. And it was packed. It was over 700 people into the hallways, down the stairwells. Um, it was also being streamed online. There were another 300 people online. So that very first event, we'll call it, there were 1,000 people. Um, my husband and I are both lawyers, if that gives you an idea of our personalities. I'm no longer a lawyer. I'm now the executive director of the organization and have been for over a year now. But at the time we said, you know, we're very solution driven, solution oriented people. We said, let's put out feedback cards. Let's see what the community needs. What else can we do? This is not going to be a one and done. And immediately the three things that came back were more support for families going through this. We were approached the weeks leading up to this event and afterwards, everywhere I went with a story, whether it was a tragic story, I lost my brother to an overdose, or my husband is struggling, or my wife is addicted to painkillers. I mean, everywhere I went, soccer games for my daughter, 
grocery store, amazing savings, you name it, I was approached. So those people out there that don't want to pick up the phone, you are not alone. You are so not alone. There are so many people out there suffering and struggling in silence with, you know, some have very happy stories that their their loved one is in recovery or they themselves are in recovery. Um, we The second thing, so we formed the support group that we now run and have been running. The second thing was more community awareness events and education, which we do and we constantly do. And the third thing is working with schools, which is where we got our start with the prosecutor's office and the prevention coalition developing this program. We've then evolved it into a program that we've now vetted with you know, educate, educators, guidance counselors, prevention experts, addiction experts, um, and it has become really a product that we're very, very proud of. We're rolling out this year new products. We have a 12th grade program, which is really designed to talk to seniors about going off next year either to Israel or to college, their increased freedom, lack of parental supervision, increased exposure. It's all about teaching them educating them. We do not want to scare them. We don't use scare tactics. We just want them to have information to make healthy decisions. Leanne, thank you. So let's go back now to what made your daughter finally seek help? What do you think her reason was to share with you, especially at a birthday celebration? So we had met her in the city for dinner. Um, we didn't know this at the time. It was only came out afterwards. Um, she had just lost a friend to an overdose. She realized that this friend and she were doing the exact same things, you know, engaging in the same drug use and um, behaviors. She knew drugs had taken over her life in many ways. Um, she was in high school a poster child. I'm captain of the soccer mm -hmm. team, founder of the chess team, straight A student, you know, was in Macaulay Honors in Queens. I mean, by all accounts, incredibly successful friends, popular, happy. Um, and when she realized that this was taking away everything she ever once enjoyed in her life and the combination of that and her friend overdosing, she realized she was going to either die or have to get help. That's how she puts it. That, that Those are her words. Um, we had tried. We really tried. And we realized very quickly and sadly, that you cannot force someone to get help if they do not want to get help. It is a very difficult lesson, especially as a parent, to have to stand back and, and you know, wait for the person to ask for help. Um, we tried everything we thought of at the time, and, and nothing was working. Um, it, it finally became clear to us we had to just keep telling her we loved her, and we were there for her to help her with her healthy decisions, and that we would support her but that we could not enable the drug use. We could not do things that made that possible. And so I talk about that, you know, decision we made to withdraw rent. It was a decision we made. We told her about it in, uh, towards the end of November. Um, it meant her lease was going to be up the end of December. And that month was horrible. Um, it was really waiting to see what happened. And we were talking the entire time, my husband and I, do we, let her back in the house. We had three younger siblings in the house. We didn't want to expose them. We had to have a very painful conversation with her grandparents, both sets of grandparents, not to give her any money if she asked for it, no matter what the story was that, you know, she never did. Um, but we had heard horror stories at that point of, you know, people who are struggling, approaching loved ones and taking advantage. 
um, just because they're desperate, they're ill, not because they were, you know, manipulative or mean people. They just, their, their illness controls everything. And finally, I won't say in the 11th hour, but at some point in December, she made the decision that she was going to get help and checked herself, literally checked herself into a treatment center in Florida. Um, we had gotten her an appointment with a therapist that specialized in placement in addiction facilities, and she willingly met with that person. And the very next night, she was in an airplane and called us literally from the tarmac and said, I'm heading to Florida. Um, so I think she was in a position finally to start the process. There were a lot of um, points in her journey that were not you know, like I said, it was not smooth sailing. There was a time when she and a friend checked herself, checked themselves out of treatment against clinical advice and disappeared for three days. Uh, we didn't know if the next call was going to be from police, the coroner's office, her. You know, the only way we knew was when another treatment facility contacted us for insurance information. And we knew she was checking herself back into a different treatment facility. Fast forward about a year, that friend that convinced her to leave the first place tried again to convince her to leave the second place. Ilana said no, for whatever reason, she wanted to stay and see it through. The other friend checked herself out, went back home, I believe, to Ohio, realized several months later she was not doing well and came back to Florida to go back into treatment. The night before she was supposed to go back into treatment, decided to have one more, you know, hurrah, and overdosed and died. Um, I actually wrote an article about it at the time that there, but for the grace of God, go I, because they really were on a parallel path until that second treatment place where one left and my daughter, thank God, stayed. Um, it's a very, very tenuous journey. It is very hard. And, you know, again, like I said, it was not smooth sailing. Those three days were horrible for us, um, not knowing where she was. She had no phone. She was literally living on the street. She's never talked about what happened in those three days. I'm not sure I want to know. Um, but she is a different person now. She's, she's sober and she's in graduate school at UPenn. Um, she works with us doing presentations to schools. She has made the most of her adversity. So we're, we're inspired by her. Absolutely beautiful. And she should really get stronger and stronger every day. And you should have a lot of nachas from her, uh, in good health. Um, I'd like to ask you again, just those parents listening that are struggling to get their loved one into a program, how important it is to work with a professional and how parents don't pick a program by themselves. So there are unfortunately a lot of bad places out there um, in terms of treatment and a lot of places that take advantage of this situation. Um, and we've had stories, unfortunately, come out of our support group that that has happened to people. Um, you know, it is it is incredibly important. First of all, you have to reframe addiction for yourself. This is something we had to learn. It's not a moral failing or a character flaw. Your, your child is not doing something bad. They're not a bad person, but they're doing something dangerous. And it is a disease. And it does happen like diabetes, like cancer, like heart disease. It does happen. And if you can look at it like that, the next step is getting them to the right person or the next right person. It doesn't have to be somebody who's going to solve your problem and, and know exactly what to do, but at least somebody who has some professional expertise who can identify the issue and help you to the next step. 
And that's actually something we talk about in our school presentations. We've had a lot of kids ask us, what do I do if I'm worried about a friend? What do I do if I'm worried about an adult in my life? And we always talk about going to a trusted adult and you're not telling on somebody, you're not getting them in trouble. You're helping them. You're helping save their life. And that person doesn't have to have all the answers. They just have to get you to the next right step. So just like you don't go and, you know, take care of a heart disease or a diabetic condition or cancer yourself, you're not admitting radiation or chemo yourself. You need to go to the person who knows what they're doing, who knows what they're talking about to help you identify what the issue is. What are the options? You know, going into rehab is not necessarily the only option. Some people think, oh, it's rehab or nothing. It's not black and white like that. It's very, very gray. And there are a lot of different options therapeutically and medically to treat this disease. Yes, Leanne, it's important that parents work with professionals. I just want to repeat that. And an addiction professional, when you're dealing with addictions, uh, if you want a referral for an addiction professional, therapist, rehab, um, people that work with rehab liaisons, then you call us at MASC with CCSA, and we will be happy to give you a referral. Just because your child may not have done well in a rehab doesn't mean that rehab is not for somebody else's child. So if you hear horror stories from other people, friends, you know, some of your child's friends that have gone to a certain rehab and it didn't work and they, you know, weren't successful there, it doesn't mean that the rehab may not be good. It means that maybe there's an issue, lack of motivation, and so many other things that could be part of the reason they weren't successful. But yes, there are many rehabs that really have taken advantage of people. And many often, Leanne, isn't it so that many people go to more than one rehab before they do get help and are successful in their treatment? A hundred percent. I was just going to say that. No, not all rehabs are bad. And sometimes rehabs are the only answer and it is the right answer. Um, you know, it, I, I look at it as a cumulative process. A lot of times right. people come to us and say, oh, my son was in rehab and he went back to rehab and he's in the third rehab and the fourth rehab and he keeps on relapsing and he keeps on doing this and he keeps on doing that. They don't forget what they learned in rehab number one, two, three, and four. It's cumulative. It takes time. The most important thing is that you work with an addiction professional and you get the help and support that you need. Yes. Thank you, Leanne. And I want to thank you. We're running out of time. Hope to have you on again in the future. Uh, thanks for being on tonight. And thank Mr. Foreman as well and your daughter for uh, doing this amazing work. Thank you so much for having me. And thank MASK for everything it does for the community. We look forward to collaborating and partnering with you in the future. Thank you. And anyone that wants to reach Leanne, you can call MASK 718-758-0400 for any of her programs. Uh, also, if you want a parent support group from MASK, uh, Sunday night, Dr. Brachfeld, Monday night, Dr. Debbie Ackman, Tuesday night, Dr. Trish Atia, and Wednesday night, Dr. Benzion Twersky. Feel free to call us, 718 758 And I want to wish 
everyone a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos. And always remember, hang in, hold on, and for now, virtually hug tight. Tonight's show is in memory of Rivka Bas Yisrael. Thank you. Our website is www.maskparents, plural, maskparents.org. Thank you, and have a good night. Hi, it's Dr. Dave Choksi with an update about COVID-19 booster shots. Let's talk about who, when, and how. Pfizer booster shots are now available for people 65 or older, people who live in nursing homes, adults with an underlying medical condition like diabetes, and adults at higher risk because of their job, like healthcare workers. If you were in one of these groups and received your second Pfizer dose at least six months ago, you can receive your booster shot now. If you received a Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccine, stay tuned for more information about boosters and speak with your healthcare provider if you have specific questions. If you are eligible for an additional dose of COVID-19 vaccine, you can make an appointment by calling 877 vax for nyc or visiting nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or just walk in. You don't need a doctor's note or other proof of eligibility. You just need your vaccine card. All COVID-19 vaccines are still free and available to everyone, regardless of immigration status. Finally, remember that your first dose is even more important than your third dose. If you haven't taken that first shot, make today the day. Take care, New York. And you're listening to the Talkline Network over WVIP 93.5 FM HD2, New Rochelle, New York. We are America's only Jewish radio program on regular broadcast radio on the Internet and digital platforms. Enjoy. Enjoy.